Have you ever noticed that podcasts are a little like sharks? When they stop swimming, they die, and they can both smell blood from a mile away. So in the spirit of keeping swimming, I'd like to introduce you to TOS Plus. Putting my business pants on for a second, TOS Plus is our new premium membership thingamajig. It's the all-access pass to a growing library of exclusive horror, sci-fi, and WTF audio fiction, along with access to the regular TOS weekly stories in higher quality, a week early, and ad-free. Once again, that's exclusive episodes, ad-free, a week early, and higher quality audio. You'll also get access to the brand new TOS Plus Vault, where you can grab our ebooks, comics, and desktop wallpapers and all sorts of stuff. All of this is available today via our Patreon campaign, which includes juicy extras like Discord access, audiobooks, and merch. And if you're an Apple user, you can subscribe directly via the Apple Podcasts app. We're now in our eighth year of the podcast, and we've got so many cool projects on the boil none of which would be possible without the ongoing support of our listeners, specifically our premium subscribers, our super-powered patrons, and the many multi-dimensional voodoo priests air-guitaring to the TOS intro jingle. For more, head over to theotherstories.net forward slash plus. Once again, that's theotherstories.net forward slash plus. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is here and now and then and forever, part two. Written by Attila Veris and narrated by Jasmine Arch. It was an exhilarating sensation, like falling, and along with it came a sense of clarity and purpose. She had never actually seen proof of the method she was selling. She was told during her recruitment that the method centre was off-limits to sales personnel. Its location a secret. Her recruiter had shown her a few photographs that meant nothing. They were supposedly of the children undergoing the method, and the images could have been either real or fake, 
She didn't care. She was becoming a peddler of hope. Hope requires no proof. Hope is not a method. Clarity was overwhelming her now. She was a loser, a mark for her recruiter. She had fallen for a sales pitch because she was desperate for easy success. Only success is never easy. She hadn't fought hard enough for it. Now she would. She began with her recruiter and, over the next couple of days, worked her way up through the multi-level sales pyramid, from one superior to the next. They were mostly men, talking while driving their cars towards some unexplained but otherwise crystal-clear goal. The pyramid's hierarchy was a complicated maze. Nobody knew exactly who was in charge of what. By the third day, she understood she was running in circles. They just kept redirecting her between a set of people, hoping she'd tire and quit. It all came naturally to her. A dormant aspect of her personality surfaced. She abandoned reasoning, explaining, pleading, begging. She called the next useless number. It was yet another man in a car, ready to explain her away. She cut him off mid-sentence, and as she started talking, she knew she would use the knife. When the method of her possible suicide settled in her mind, she felt a rush of pure bliss. That brightness brought a disturbing quality to her voice. It was the voice not of desperation, but of expectation. He knew she wasn't bluffing. He knew she actually desired this. She told him she would kill herself. She would do it in a public place during rush hour. She would make a spectacle of her own death one that even the media couldn't ignore. She would remove her eyes before slitting her throat. She would implicate him and the company directly in her decision. She would leave behind notes, messages, letters, and confessional videos. Journalists would have a lot to chew on. She heard him pulling into a parking lot. She heard him cutting the engine. She knew she had won. After this conversation things sped up. They were calling her now. Actual company management reaching out to mitigate any possible damage. It was a pleasure to hear worry in their voices. A worry she milked for all it was worth until she could make the call to Krista. An unmarked minivan picked them up at dawn. The drivers were tall men, their necks tattooed. They each carried a gun, not even concealed from the passengers. They searched the two women for any electronic devices, cameras, phones or sound recorders on their persons. Only after this were they allowed to get into the van. The windows had been masked with black sheets. It was just the two of them. Sitting in the dark, Yanka felt fingers searching for hers. Krista's fingers were clammy and cold. Yanka grabbed the woman's hands and squeezed them. She hoped her own palms were dry and warm. She wanted her touch to be the one Krista could trust. It's all going to be fine, Yanka promised. She used her soothing voice. She made it sound like she meant it. Seeing the two men and the bulge of their guns underneath their shirts made her think otherwise. It was quite possible they'd disappear her now. Possibly Krista as well. They meant too much trouble for the company. The two women held on to each other. 
time lost meaning in the dark. Yanka tried to dissolve herself in this timelessness, preparing for her own personal extinction. The vehicle stopped, the doors opened, and Yanka covered her eyes against the sudden light. The drivers hurried them out of the minivan. Yanka saw trees and a dirt road. It was somewhere far outside the city limits. The air was quiet. The dirt road led to a concrete parking lot. The parking lot was attached to a building. The building appeared abandoned, its walls dirty, some of its tiny windows cracked. Maybe it had been a military warehouse back in the 70s or 80s. The woods were littered with them. This was it, Yanka knew. It was either the method centre or the place she would die. Her heart skipped a beat. Now she could appreciate the magnitude of what she had done. A man approached from the parking lot and Yanka felt she was looking at a god. This man was flawless, an example of self-actualization, the highest form of success. It was in his stance, his movements, his eyes. He appeared to warp everything around him, as if he had his own field of gravity. Everything else, the perfect three-piece suit, the golden Rolex, the black Lexus parked by the wall, was just a set of casual accessories. Even without them, he'd ooze success. He extended his hand toward Krista. My name is Tamás Kirchmeier, the man said with a bright smile. His teeth were incredibly white. I'm managing our mission here, and it is my utmost pleasure to see you and make you feel secure in your choice. I'll be your guide today. Come and see. Yanka's mouth dried up. She knew who Kirchmeier was. The top of the pyramid. The founder and CEO of the Method Center. He shepherded Krista toward the entrance, and only when he opened the door did he look at Yanka. Yanka was desperate to decrypt the meaning of this glance. Was it scolding? Was it approval? Was it something else? Kirchmeier made a delicate gesture, beckoning her in. It was empty inside. The walls were naked concrete, the windows blacked out. The place smelled damp. Kirchmeier escorted the two women through this empty space, and at the far end Yanka saw a staircase leading down. His voice was deep, calming and soft like a pillow you address your head on. He spoke to Krista, but Yanka clung to his every word. I know you're here for your child. I know you want him to be saved. Rest assured we can save him. But you must understand, our objective is not just to save your child, because not only is your child dying, we as a species are dying. So our objective is not only to save your son, but to ensure his survival. The stairs meander downward, barely lit by a series of dim light bulbs. Survival from what? asked Krista. The end of the world, of course, he answered. They reached the bottom of the stairs. The air was warm and humid down there. It felt like being in a greenhouse. Kirchmeier turned on the lights. Yanka saw the type of corridor she associated with hospitals. The same tiles on the walls, same smell of disinfectant, same cold LED lights. This space felt unforgiving. A double door waited at the far end like an invitation. Why? 
Krista said, then hesitantly lifted her hand. Why sick children? Why us? She was about to burst into tears yet again. Yanka reached out to hold her. It could be useful later, a gesture to build trust. All sales are built on trust. Kirchmeier pulled a key from his pocket. That's just the way they are. The people of our time, they think the world exists for their pleasure and comfort. If they allowed our method to become widespread, they would have to admit defeat. It would be too clear a sign that their world was finished. Their money, comfort, safety and society, all nothing but an illusion. No, they can't let it happen. For that reason, we mostly offer the method to those with nothing left to lose. The authorities will let them slip through. Why bother? Still, many families allow healthy offspring to undergo the treatment too. They sense the change upon us, you see. Can't you just... just cure him? Krista asked in a high-pitched voice. Yanka observed her every gesture. The woman's face was turning into an ever-changing landscape of despair and hope. He will be reborn, Kirchmeier said. Following the treatment, children will never be sick again. Never again will they be in need. Come and see, Krista. See the future. The man opened the door separating the old world from the new one. A view into the womb that would birth a new humankind. Yanka's first sensation was the smell. It was raw, like a freshly opened wound. They are asleep here, Kirchmeier said. It's the most delicate phase of the process. Evolution runs its course in a matter of months. We keep them anaesthetized. The pain would be too much to bear. They won't remember anything once they awaken, reborn. Her vision adapted to the dark. She felt dizzy once she grasped the size of this hall. The building upstairs concealed the entrance to this enormous storage facility, now hosting hundreds upon hundreds of children, all lying on the floor, each on a thin blanket. My God, Krista whispered. What happened to their faces? What happened? Krista covered her mouth to muffle her scream. Seeing the other woman's revulsion, her shaking hands, the fat tears rolling down her cheeks, made Yanka understand why, from a sales standpoint, it was counterproductive to let customers witness this. The place had the oppressive feel of a mortuary. The children on the floor. So many broken bodies. The customers would be reminded not of rebirth, but of the eventual process of having to take care of their own child's ravaged body of the decay coming to everything they loved. It would be hard to turn them around from this shock and close the deal. Yanka herself saw no genuine difference between these children and Norbi lying in his sickbed. They were all on the threshold between two states, caught at the zenith of transformation. Norbi's transformation would result in death. These children's in rebirth. It was only a matter of choice. A decision Krista had to make. There were superficial differences, of course. These children were not pale, like Norby in his sickbed. They were all black and red, as if their skin had twisted itself into raw flesh. The transformation dissolved their features. These children had no faces to speak of. Their noses had sunk into their skulls. 
and the skulls themselves were also in a process of change. Their heads were elongated, twisted into shapes that reminded Yanka of fatal car crashes. At least they had eyes. They stared blankly ahead into nothingness. A thick membrane covered the eyeballs. And the children also had mouths. Large, gaping mouths, distorted along with the bending and twisting of the bones. Yanka imagined these open mouths to be cradling a scream already. A scream that would come to them with the pain of rebirth. The children wrapped their arms around their bodies. But the arms disappeared into the torso as the flesh melted into itself. Once the transformation was complete, there would be skin and new bones between the torso and the arms. They'd have wings. Perhaps the sight of them is unsettling to you, Kichmaya said. Rest assured they are completely safe with us, and it's for their betterment. Come, let me show you their final form. The man shepherded Krista toward a side door. The woman still held her palm against her mouth. Yanka had a moment alone with the children. She knelt to touch one of them. It didn't matter which. They were all the same to her. It felt like touching lukewarm rubber. The child flinched and Yanka quickly withdrew her finger. A gargling sound broke from the ever-open mouth and Yanka was flooded with the rush of horror Krista must have felt earlier. She had an urge to either laugh or scream. Like everything in life, this was a choice of perspective. Yanka decided to laugh. She chose to see this gurgling sack of flesh that used to be a child as funny. And already she felt better. The child moved no more, so she turned and followed the others. This is my grandchild, said Kirchmeier. He is the reason I brought the method to this country. I'm so proud of him. He used to be sick, like your own son. Look at him now. He is the future. It watched the adults from within its cage. It was completely still, yet Yanka felt threatened. It possessed the stillness of a spider in its web, the stillness of a predator waiting to strike its prey. Its wings were wrapped tightly around its body. Its claws clutched a tree branch. Yanka instinctively knew that their lives would be in danger if the creature wasn't kept behind bars. Bones littered the floor of the enclosure. The cage? Krista said, and Kichmaier made a gesture of understanding. The bars are necessary for our own safety. But she said... Now Krista pointed at Yanka. She said that they could thrive on anything, even sunlight. The man smiled, but Yanka, maybe because she trained herself to see this quality, caught a moment of utter and absolute sadness. It was passing over him like a shadow. Yanka understood he was really keeping his own grandchild here as a showcase. The creature was not a random product sample, and Yanka loved the man even more for this. Of course they can said the man. They can digest anything. Plants, fish, fungi, microbes, light, and to some extent even microplastics. But you like what you like, right? They just love raw meat. And don't worry, they are highly efficient hunters too. After our world has collapsed, they'll thrive on the survivors. What? said Krista. 
And if there is no collapse? The man shrugged. Then they'll thrive anyway. All the more for them to hunt. You'll let them out into the world? The man nodded. After they've been reborn, we'll send them out in packs. Yanka watched this creature and sensed a stirring in her soul. A brand new emotion she couldn't yet name. It was an itch, a mixture of nostalgia and longing that reminded her of childhood. Then she understood. It was a need. She wanted to become a creature just like the one in the cage, to shed this human form and be born anew. It was the perfect mode of existence, no longer human, completely at ease with its own nature. She didn't envy them their eternal lives. She envied them the freedom of flying over the ruins that her own world would soon become. Of having transcended the needs that drove her even now, hunting for the last remnants of mankind as prey, there was a blissful purity in that image, made even more vibrant by the knowledge that it was not hers to take. It belonged to the children in the cancer ward. She envied them so much it almost burned a hole in her heart. I need to get out of here, Krista whimpered. I need to get out. Yanka was the last to leave the room. She wanted the creature to understand how much she loved it, though this would mean nothing to the thing. Nothing at all, and that made the notion even more beautiful. Outside, Tamas Kirchmeier grabbed Yanka's hands. The man's skin was fine, dry and soft, a hand she could trust. He looked at her, looked straight into her eyes, and Yanka gained some inner substance from this moment. She knew she was becoming more. I let this happen, he said, because I was taken by the dedication you've been showing. I always need dedicated people like you. Her heart was fluttering, and she felt electricity circling in her system. She was certain this was the most transformative moment of her life. This is not a job, said Kirchmeier, and Yanka followed in perfect lockstep. This is a mission, she said, and for the first time in her life, she meant it. Yes, it was a mission and she was a prophet of a new era. A shepherd leading a generation from the gates of extinction onto the path of a new paradise. She smiled so brightly it even made him smile. He pulled her closer to whisper into her ear. Each word smelt faintly of mint. His voice was soft. A voice meant just for her. Prove to me that you understand. The contract is on the back seat. You have two hours to convince her. If you fail, my people will have you both shot and fed to my grandchild. If you succeed, you'll be part of what we really do. Do you understand me? Yanka nodded. She felt peace. The disarray of her life had now twisted itself into a map and Yanka was no longer lost. She got into the van. Krista was already waiting inside. She saw Yanka and she started talking anxiously, her words coming out like gusts of wind. This, how could you? Do you even understand what we just saw? That these things, when there are enough of them, they will eat us alive? That they want to turn my kid into a monster? 
The driver closed the door on them. It was pitch black again. Yanka did not mind. Her fingers found the contract. She had two hours to do this job. No, not a job. A mission. You say monster, she started. And Yanka sounded alien even to herself, in the best possible way. It was perfect. It was what she'd been searching for all these years. It was a voice you'd follow into the dark. A voice you wanted to trust. A voice that could sell you anything. It was her voice now, so she continued. But the nature of life depends on perspective, and perspective is a matter of personal choice. You have two options now, so hear me out. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Here and Now and Then and Forever was written by Attila Veres, translated to English by Luca Karafiev, narrated by Jasmine Arch, produced by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher for helping with our submission reading, and of course to Ben Arrington for the ongoing explosion of content he fires out of his social media canon. Attila Verez is a Hungarian writer of horror and word fiction. His first novel, Odekint Shotateb, was a surprise success in his native country and was followed by the short story collection, Ifeli Iskolak. His fiction appears regularly in Black Ether, a magazine dedicated to Hungarian cosmic horror, as well as in literary magazines. As a screenwriter, he's written many short and feature-length films all over Europe and won the Best Television Screenplay Award at the 2020 Hungarian Film Awards for the TV feature Lives Recurring. He is originally from Nierighaza, but currently lives in Budapest. His story, The Time Remaining, was chosen to represent Hungary in the Valencourt Book of World Horror Stories, and The Black Maybe is his full-length English debut. Jasmine Arch is a writer, poet, narrator, podcaster, and all-round chaos for brains. She lives in a nook of Belgian countryside with two horses, four dogs, and a husband who knows better than to distract her when she's writing. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Other Stories, NewMyths.com, and Hybrid Fiction, among others. Find out more about her and her work at jasminearch.com. McSweeney's is an independent, non-profit publishing company based in San Francisco. As well as operating a daily humour website, they also publish Timothy McSweeney's quarterly concern, Illustoria, and an ever-growing collection of books in the various imprints. You can buy all of those things from their online store, you can make a donation, and for more, head over to mcsweeneys.net. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver, and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. So, until next time.